Welcome to Subtext and Discourse, a podcast which takes you behind the scenes of the art world with the unique individuals involved in the field. I'm your host, Michael Dooney, co-founder and director of Berlin-based gallery Jarvis Dooney. We've just passed the halfway point of 2020 and watching the news sometimes, I have the impression that time is speeding up. Today's conversation was recorded only six weeks ago and it feels like months when considering how much has taken place since then. In mid-May, I met up with Piotr Pitrus and Catherine Evans, who will soon be beginning a summer residency together in France. Though they occasionally collaborate, I interviewed them separately about their respective artistic practices beginning with Piotr. Originally from Poland, Piotr began pursuing photography after a stay in Bologna in 2005. His work crosses the boundary between documentary, activism and portraiture. We talk about the evolution of his visual style and approach, and the role his personal beliefs have played in influencing his output. Just a quick reminder to please subscribe to Subtext and Discourse on Spotify, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, like it on YouTube, and anything else which might positively impact the algorithm and help build our audience. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Piotr Petrius. You go quite regularly to Poland. So. Yeah, about four times a year, but usually always for relatively short periods of time because we are still having um, reasons to come back rather soon to Berlin. But eventually it'll turn out to be our second base to be in Poland because I think we have just um, a really good environment for Eluan, our kid. And I think also it's a really good spot from where I could imagine that we could work on our own practice really well by having a lot of space in the house, by having nature uh, where we can go to whenever we want, how are easy to reach and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can I have it here? Good. I'm just kaput. No, no, super good. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how he switches between English yeah. and German. Yeah, yeah. Say hello. Though. Yeah. We want to make Poland, um, in a sense, also more of a base where we can also eventually start to invite people over and mm-hmm. um, share this environment with them and let them be there and also discover things on their own. And also bring some new vibes to that area, because I think that area where I am from, I really love it. It's where my roots are. It's mm-hmm. where I know a lot of people. But I also think that that area is uh, is lacking now now a lot of fresh ideas fresh young people who do something because Mm -hmm. many people younger than me or of my generation they have left in order to go to cities and it's like mostly artists or skateboarders so they (laughs) they are not there anymore there's of course a new generation coming and i think there's quite a lot of cool people but i think it's you know i would like to make it more alive there by having our presence and also by inviting other people to come over and also leaving their marks. Yeah. And where whereabouts in Poland is this? It's in the, what are they called? Silesian Mountains. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in the borders between Czech Republic and Germany. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of really down in the southwestern corner of Poland by the mountains. Wrocław is a quite big known city that is not too far away. Still 100 kilometers, but that's kind of the next big city that people might know of. I guess the nearest German city would be Dresden and then Prague. Uh, Yeah, but before Dresden, you have Görlitz. You know that empty city? It's actually an interesting place because um, it's a beautiful city that has the problem that people don't 
young people don't want to live there right now. Mm -hmm. And you can have apartments for like, I don't know, 100 euros maybe. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I'm really guessing the price now, but I think I'm not so far off. Even for free, I've heard. And, um, <laughs> and it's beautifully renovated and kept tidy and cute and every and beautiful old architecture, but not enough people to live there. Yeah, and they are always trying to figure out ways how to get uh, life back to that city. In fact, I saw a program once on TV that they invited two artists from Berlin, a couple to try out their life there, how it is. And I think the guy from the couple, he was a painter. She, I don't remember what she was doing, but they stayed there for a couple months, but eventually they moved back because oh. they liked it but they did not have the feeling of easy community access there. oh okay yeah like things you have here in berlin when you go to a playground and you meet like-minded people much easier yeah. you get to know each other quite soon quite well and i guess all the amenities in the capital city as well you have a lot more things at yeah your, yeah at your yeah, disposal. yeah for sure that too yeah but i think that's something i would really like to work on my area where I'm from because yeah. I really like to share it with other people. I really love it and I think it needs just more input. Yeah. How long did you live there for? I lived there in my early childhood years and then after we have moved away to Germany, my parents and I, we kind of escaped to Germany in fact. It was a night ride with a train when I was like almost five years old and then eventually we got, we had started to coming back to that house to that area a few years later still like when the borders were shut but we were feeling safe that we can dare to come mm -hmm. back just for holidays so i got back in touch with that area as a sort of tourist only yeah for only holidays and then going back to germany where my life was really happening Eventually, I decided to come back there for real when I was in my very late teens in order to finish school there. And I loved it. I got back there and I really um, had a wonderful, good time. I met very quickly people mm -hmm. because I suddenly was living there. I suddenly had the capacity of meeting people. I had the possibility of getting to know about the culture, about the music, about how free I can feel there. As compared to Bavaria, I felt a lot more free in Poland. And I realized there's like so much cool things happening. So many cool people, such a good like skate crew and environment there. So I, I really lived there well. And I noticed that country is deep, you know, there's lots of things. And so I'm missing this a bit, this vibe. I feel it here in Berlin too, but I, I like the infrastructure. I like the environment of there a lot, which I don't have here in Berlin. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Did you come to Berlin after you were living in that region? Yeah, after I was living in that region, I actually started um, after my finishing school there. I spent first one year in an old house in the mountains with friends. We mm. kind of squatted that house, sort of. <laughs> but squatted is a bit an exaggerated term because actually my, my parents owned it. <laughs> but we never did anything with it. Yeah. Like it was always empty and was we never had the money to renovate it. So in terms of squatting, I mean, we just used what we had in that house and lived there yeah. the easiest, simplest way without money, without anything. We just, you know, we use substances <laughs> instead. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a fabulous year. I learned so much about life. 
Yeah. And thanks. And then this very particular important year, actually, a path opened in front of me that I knew what I want to do. I really, until that moment, I have had no idea what I want to do. I really, I was not a, like an artist in the sense of this is my career. It just developed into this direction there. And I needed that time. I'm very, very grateful about the trust I've gotten from my parents to give me this opportunity and time, knowing that I will do something with it. And I would really recommend it to any parents giving space to their kids. They will find out their path. It's really something, a lecture that I'm happy to <laughs> always keep, tell other people, yeah, trust them. Yeah, eventually I was then in, in Wrocław in the city where I started studying in an art school and I stayed there for a year and a half. And then I decided I want to keep on moving and see what else could be interesting. And because it was quite easy for me to start my next step in Munich, I did that. So I was in Munich for a while, which I did not enjoy because I did not like the city. I found it very restrictive, incredibly lots of police. I just felt I'm uh, occupying my mind too much with things that I'm angry with yeah. instead of choosing to occupy it with things that are interesting me. So from then on, I I quickly kind of escaped to Bologna, Italy, using the Erasmus. And that was a revelation for me. That was like, wow, I loved it. And it was like such an important step for me to be in Italy, to be in that spot, to learn a language, learn a different way of thinking. And then afterwards, I decided not to come back to Munich, but to go to Berlin. Okay. From where I also finished my art school in Munich. So I was doing my work in Berlin and going every now and then to Munich in order to finish it there. Oh, you were commuting between Berlin and Munich? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. But now I'm living in Berlin and um, I'm liking it here. So when you studied, you were studying fine arts or Yeah, I was studying or? fine arts. But mostly it was based around painting. And then during that time, I eventually had the opportunity to start taking photos. I knew that it's something that will happen eventually that I will start taking photos. And then once the door opened and I was asked to do a little assignment and with photo and that was really cool for me because I um, grabbed a tool that instantly became something that I felt most comfortable with. Especially for the reason that I was able to be outside, to move around, to observe to see things and to have also instant results. As opposed to painting, it takes forever and you're always alone at home. And I kind of missed the world outside of it in that period. I guess you mostly were photographing from the end of Munich and then since you've been exactly. in Berlin. Exactly. Yeah. You work as a photographer, don't you? So you do commissions, yeah. and yeah. you work for yeah. magazines yeah. and yeah. publications. Exactly. But then you have your artistic practice, mm -hmm. and, but then you're also quite involved in activism, photographing, ecological struggles, social mm -hmm. engagement, mm -hmm. protests. Listening to you speak before about the experience of growing up in Poland, contrasting that with Bavaria, which as a region is quite conservative anyway. Coming to Berlin, which is probably one of the more liberal parts of the country. Yeah. Was that what the initial attraction was? The attractive thing about Berlin is the freedom that I feel in this place here. And then as opposed to life in a maybe conservative but beautiful area in Bavaria, I find it a bit boring mm -hmm. and I really like about Berlin the fact that you can really go outside for the hundredth of time the same path and every time you discover something new, every time there's something that can maybe surprise you mm -hmm. that you haven't seen before, that hasn't been there before, there's this sort of 
layer of anarchism that's happening here that I really enjoy. Living here and comparing this place to other places that I have been to in my life or visited makes a lot of other places seem a bit boring for me. And I'm missing this a lot generally everywhere that I'm missing the surprising fact in many cities, in many places. I think it's fairly boring and I think people just tend to always be in their own like little worlds where they just follow a certain path and they don't want to get distracted by it. And I think in Berlin, you actually get distracted by things because if you're curious, you find interesting things happening. And, um, and there's also interesting people here on the streets. And mm-hmm. I enjoy that a lot. And I really enjoy the different cultures here. Yeah, That's actually maybe the main fact. <laughs> That's really, really cool thing to have lots of cultures here, lots of languages, lots of smells on the street, lots of life on the street, lots of kids running around that's mm-hmm. i think that's really cool yeah it's it's, it's um, it feeds your soul yeah definitely do you feel that in the time you've been here because 2012 to now do you think it's changed a lot yeah it's changing and i'm um, i'm of course i'm observing a lot the how it, on how it is changing i can see it really well just by looking out of my balcony and I knew that when I moved in here that I will be mm-hmm. like I'm in the beginning of a area that is now starting to change. And I really can kind of see this ongoing change from the beginning until this moment very well. And there is a lot of negativity in this change because it's, you know, it has a lot to do with gentrification, but not only negative things popping up. There's mm-hmm. also good things that are changing here. And um, so it's a, it's a bit ambivalent, but. I do rather worry on where this city is going now. And I think it's losing a lot of its soul. It's losing a lot of its people because things are getting too expensive. I think yeah, that's, that's just true. a very simple reason is that it's getting expensive here. And it's those things that I actually do not have much money are actually those things that are most interesting. Those little stores, this little theater next door and the little places where you can eat good food, which is where a family is cooking for you. And and I find it very sad. And I really, I'm really agreeing with the people fighting against this big change happening even though it feels a bit as if uh, you're fighting against a giant and you're very very small but i really support all the struggles and i'm really surprised by how creative many little warriors are or little places are and how creative and how daring sometimes i think that's that's really good because you realize or because people all realize that they're not alone things people are connecting and i think in my opinion, there is a growing movement here now in Berlin that people are connecting and they're really wanting to stop this gentrification change as much as possible. And um, it's also part because I, w- I am in a few things lightly involved only. I see this also as an interesting entry point to find a way on how I can follow this or add my voice to it through my photography. So when did you first start seeing photography maybe as a path or a tool for you to be involved with this? Mm, I think early on when I started photographing, I knew actually that I can be flexible. And I think throughout the last couple of years, I have developed a political outlook. This is now the more I start to read, the more I start to observe the more I see on the streets. That's also a part of Berlin that I really like actually is that people are political here. And I like that people are hanging out banners on the windows and fighting for rights of minorities. It has influenced me a lot. 
And I've seen it the first time in Bologna, which is also a very political city. So now my political outlook is becoming a bigger part of my life. And I decided that how I can also engage with it by maybe also not losing too much time yeah. in my own practice, how to combine them together. And maybe adding my little bit there in order to show something, to, to describe something, and maybe to move into a direction with something that I would like to happen or mm -hmm. to change. So how do you mean when you say to not lose time from your own creative practice, your own exactly. work that you need yeah, to do? Exactly. So I want to combine those things so I can be engaged politically, but at the same time, it is also my practice. Oh, of course. Okay. Because you're documenting the events yeah, and yeah. you're participating. Okay. And that's the flexibility that I really enjoy. So do you go, um, like you were invited to go and document these events or you go there and then you approach publications later? In uh, most cases, I was going by myself mm -hmm. and then later I approached publications. Now I'm getting invited or like I got invited or mm -hmm. a reason, but it was not really an event. It was just an assignment for Greenpeace magazine. Mm -hmm. But I think that happened more or less thanks to those steps that I have done before by myself. Yeah, And it was good for me to do it by myself because I had freedom to look for my own viewpoint in this. And I did not have a pressure of having to capture situations that are necessary to retell a, mm -hmm. a story that is quick and easy to read for a bigger audience. So I kind of was really able to find my own little niche in there and experience it for myself and to develop a certain idea that I can continue on developing by going to the next place with the knowledge that I have from the previous yeah, event. The previous event. Yeah. How was it the first few? Because they can be quite volatile situations and yeah. they can be unpredictable. Yeah. I know even from yeah. experience here in Berlin on certain days of the year yeah. that everything can be somehow under control and then something can happen. Something can happen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the yeah. crowds are moving in different directions and the police are rushing through and then yeah. there's cars there. Super weird. And you've really got to react fast. Yeah. I mean, have you, you must have come across that. Yeah, yeah, of course, a lot. I have to say um, there was always some... A certain feel of nervousness that you have in this situation. And I was thinking to myself, why am I feeling this a little bit? Because I was not afraid in the sense that I could get trouble with, mm. with demonstrators. I'm actually rather on their side. Yeah. And that problem has so been solved just now that I... I've gotten this bloody press card now. You know? Oh, okay. And yeah, it's yeah. just like, I suddenly, all this nervousness disappeared. All that feelings that I've had before mm -hmm. were, that were there in these unpredictable situations, it was actually the fear of police and like being captured by them, being kettled, being taken away, not being able to attend further events to photograph. So, for example, when I photographed in... Um, First time, a bigger thing that was in Strasbourg. And I had early on in the day, I've had a few shots that I thought, oh, wow, they're really like good. They need to keep them. I was just so bloody afraid to lose them by getting captured by the cops and they maybe take the car, car oh, away. Okay, you know, yeah. you, you hear the stories. So I was started to become very careful because of that thought in my mind. And otherwise, how I feel in this situation, I think what is kind of a bit scary, what I felt in Hamburg is that... That was during the G20. G20, yeah. Is also that the reaction of the audiences, the lookers, yeah, not the ones involved. Because when something happens, someone runs, then it's kind of starts like this little panic starts. Mm. And it's the lookers who are running away. And you don't know what the reason is. Is it something really like something has someone got shot? Or did someone just start running out of no reason and everyone's following them? So this unpredictability is a bit uncomfortable, I found. 
because mm. you're somewhere in a street and suddenly there's people running towards you and you don't know, you can't judge by that what the situation is and how you should really behave in this moment. Yeah, That was something that, that I would say is the most unpredictable thing. Okay. Yeah. But having your equipment and things like that, that's pretty fine. Like you're not worried about... No, no, not at all, actually. It's insured and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, if it's something very important and I'm a bit afraid of my equipment, I have two cameras with me. Yeah, okay. Not on the spot, but at least somewhere nearby. Oh, okay, so yeah. you can continue to document. I could continue, yeah. And how did you feel developing your own aesthetic? I know you've shot for them as well, but having strong flash... Yeah. It has that Vice magazine yeah. look about it. I wondered whether or not it's a generational thing because when we think about conflict photography, it's usually 60s, 70s protests. It's all in black and white. You're in amongst everything and there's a different feeling to them. But I think when I saw some of your pictures, I think there was one image. I can't remember if it was from Hamburg or not, but there were two people covering their faces and behind them there was purple clouds of smoke. If you didn't know the context, it could be purple clouds of smoke at a holy fest or yeah, something yeah, yeah. you know more joyful. Yeah. But then is this tear gas or is this something to try to disperse the crowd? Yeah. Do you feel sometimes you're treading a fine line between the realism, but then how people are going to interpret the images? Yeah, it's definitely a fine line. And I think it's definitely something that I'm, I think, constantly working on because with my own practice, I don't see really a point where I should photograph the way tons of other photographers already mm -hmm. capturing a situation, such as in Hamburg, there were so many photographers and obviously very good ones. Yeah. They're very experienced, very good and really make amazing images. And these are the images that you then later see in Spiegel. Or mm -hmm. I wouldn't add anything to that sort of aesthetic or conversation or narrative if I follow that same path. So I kind of start my own little story within this story and may it be a bit more cryptic but i think i'm not afraid to maybe not show some things but leave room for imagination for the viewer in order to create maybe something that in all it's together tells a different story that has a bit of maybe a longer lifetime as well that still is relevant or interesting a few years later yeah whereas maybe many of those reportage situations of crowds repeat themselves within all the events that come afterwards yeah, you know exactly. what i mean no so, completely there's a few iconic images that have taken place at these events where you might have somebody throwing a bottle or yeah. somebody pushing against the police but then otherwise we do get saturated with them mm -hmm. yeah completely appreciate going in a different direction thinking how can we communicate these stories in a different way yeah so that they still engage people looking at them but of course i'm open to going back to a different style of language in case i need to if it is uh, asked if i'm being asked to do that it's um, something that i feel very comfortable in doing and then on a site mm -hmm. i can just do also my own stuff so i'm kind of also switching between those modes sometimes if i need to yeah you were saying that different publications have invited you so i guess they've appreciated your visual style and that you're going to these events to document them yeah it's not that many yet i think the first kind of cool situation for me was after g20 without I approached a few publications afterwards and I've sent them a few images in case they replied that they're interested in. And these images had been published online, mostly, such as Hack Magazine, these kind mm -hmm. of cool hipster <laughs> magazines. But it's cool. It's, it's, I learned something with that and I've started to have like, some sort of a relationship with them and for also um, future 
situations. But then I've gotten once a phone call from um, Greenpeace magazine that they would like to buy three images from G20. Mm-hmm. In fact, they picked images that I liked. In fact, the one that you described earlier yeah. has been picked. So I realized it's being appreciated, my little point of view. Yeah. And that encouraged me to move on with this. And right now, I have got um, a stable work relationship with Greenpeace magazine. Oh, and, cool. Okay. And that's great. That's what came out of it. And I think from that on, I can move on to also other publications, which mm-hmm. I want to approach soon or... yeah. It's, it, it evolves and it starts from one point and then it moves to another and the, and it grows. Do you think there might be maybe more interest, I don't want to say extreme or radical, but maybe the ones that want to show more of the truth and more of what's going on? So Greenpeace, for a lot of people, are seen as a, yeah. an extreme organization. And if you're talking about more mainstream publications, do you think sometimes maybe the publication already has a point of view that they want to present and then that will impact how attractive your images are for them. I'm not sure about that. I, it, it may be that my aesthetic is, of course, more interesting for certain publications than others, but I would not exclude others by saying that my, my point of view is maybe too radical or not. I have not yet enough experience to really judge yeah. this division well yet. So I think it's probably that way, but I don't know yet. Yeah. I think uh, I think it'll all come out in the future. But I think my working method and my involvement with photographing political events or activists is relatively new. I'm stepping on an area that I know that is like so vast, and I know that I've got so much ahead of me yeah. that I'm really excited about. So I'm like totally, you know, there's like fire burning in my chest when it comes to that. That the experience really is going to grow within time, and yeah. um, I'm very excited about this. I'm really keen on working. I'm really keen on seeing things. I'm really keen on adding my voice to things, and I'm keen on telling about it. Given the current situation, there is a, a struggle and there is a, a conflict happening now mm-hmm. in the form of a pandemic that's keeping everybody inside. How are you documenting that or are you documenting that? Yeah, I'm documenting it a little bit, like many people do, in fact, yeah. which I find cool. There's, you know, Corona Diaries. Yeah. <laughs> so many people are doing it. And of course, I, I want to do it too. I, I really like what also everyone does because Corona Diaries can be photographing the plant on your window or the curtains or mm-hmm. your bed sheets. Everything now you photograph is already embedded in a meaning because yeah. it's now. <laughs> Whatever you photograph. So I am doing a sort of diary of these days. Eventually, I would probably expand also it onto a larger or a more precise sphere that has particularly something to do with Corona. I haven't gotten to that point where I really could say that I'm going to go to this place and photograph that situation that is really only Corona-based situation. Because there have been, just, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, but there have Mm -hmm. been in Berlin, less so than in other cities and countries, but there have been anti-Corona protests or people saying, yeah, yeah, I've been to one. This is fake or this isn't, you know, you're taking our rights away. Yeah, I've I've actually been to one recently on May 1st. There was one because I wanted to gauge whether this is something that I want to maybe stuck my foot in deeper yeah. and see what that is about and what that is like. I don't think that it's going to be my theme. No. No, because also the mixture of people protesting there is very unclear. It's definitely nothing that I can relate myself to. Mm-hmm. 
not yet at least, or not yet within that narrative that I've experienced there. I, I see there's a weird mixture of right-wing propaganda happening. At the same time, you see bio, bio hippie yeah. parents there and uh, anti-vaccine. It's all a bit, it's a weird mix. And I think people come there for different reasons. And I think they have totally different things in mind by being there. But the overall vibe is yet not really... Uh, I mean, it sounds really confused, just yeah. even describing the different groups of people who yeah. would normally be against each other. Yeah. But they've all yeah. somehow come yeah. together to yeah. fight against this yeah. thing that's yeah. oppressing them, yeah. in inverted quotes. Yeah, and I think also for different reasons, because some people believe that there is um, a big conspiracy theory happening, whereas the person next, standing next to that person is rather, it's about um, the right to demonstrate and and that's why he or she is there and so that's what makes it so difficult to see a, a common point of mm -hmm. view or i think no one really knows what how to react on them right now i have a feeling yeah but even in terms of documenting a demonstration or a protest that multifaceted nature of it could also be quite interesting because you've typically got yes. one side yes, against definitely. another side yeah 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 it's definitely it's a different complex situation it's different to what i have experienced when i've mm. gone to other demonstrations whereas one side was like clearly for one reason there were they big groups no there weren't that many it was a bit of confusing because it also was not allowed for them to demonstrate so mm. they kind of were just hanging around in a square, actually, Linienstrasse, no? It was... Oh, okay. Yeah. I saw the one nearby, that was... Nearby Volksbühne. Okay, yeah, that's the picture and, I saw. And then suddenly there's like a little bit group gathering happening and one person holding up a flag or a um, little banner and you quickly see cops moving and just pulling someone out. And then there's another group gathering together. So the circumstances of um, demonstrating now or not being allowed to demonstrate in Corona times are very present there and, and how it's being dealt with this, mm -hmm. um, which made the whole situation, of course, even more unclear. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I would be able to find a voice in myself that I can translate onto images that I would be taking there. So I think for me, I will look out for Corona-based themes that are something totally different. I don't know yet. Maybe it could be interesting, maybe the, how hotels are like, being changed yeah. onto different functions and uh, yeah but i have to say also in the last couple like one or two weeks i have not been really following the corona news so much anymore yeah i, think I used to be up to date but it, now yeah. i'm kind of got out of it a bit and for documenting it though i think i was always taking pictures of all the signs mm -hmm. like with the different route rules yeah. and the different pictograms yeah. or how so many places have They've marked on the ground. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. I saw that the other day too. I was going, uh, coming back home from skating actually in the evening and I was passing Karl Marx Platz and Karl Marx Platz has once a week this uh, market. So people, when they line up, they have precise markings <laughs> and you suggest these markings. And I thought, yeah, that'd be actually a cool shot from above somewhere where you can see this drawings, these geometry. And um, that's cool. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I found really yeah, interesting. Yeah, just seeing all yeah. these little 
solutions. You think, oh, how are people going to line up at 1.5 meter distances? Yeah. And I remember seeing it first at the supermarket inside and then yeah, uh-huh. at, the, at the weekend markets where they do a chalk line on the ground. And even out the front of our bakery, they would take out the front, that like one cool, and a half meter yeah. spacings everywhere. Yeah. And it's such a bizarre thing when you see it, but in the context of what's going on, that's the reality that we're living in right now. Yeah, I think if it yeah. wasn't so bad, it would be kind of comical to see that we've got these spaces for where you stand while you totally, wait. Totally. It is. It is. It's really weird. But of course, necessary and people accept it. But I think if you look at it and you think about it, it's actually super strange. With your artistic practice, then you mentioned that it is more about the, well, I wrote the word down and I'm probably going to say it wrong, the Shika Voda. Shika Voda. Yeah. So quiet water. Yeah. Silent water, quiet water. Is that more what you're looking for in general? Because I get the feeling that's an ongoing series of these split second moments of ordinary things or the certain banality, but it's there's a certain beauty in that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's an ongoing project because that's how I permanently look at the world and I, I try to find some sort of poetry that is engaging me or with my environment. Or in other words, I'm kind of creating a soundtrack for my life. Therefore, it is ongoing as opposed to my assigned work or as opposed to work that is bound to a certain theme. I really need to have projects like Jihad Voda in order to feel that freedom within my own practice, that I can really be open to things, that I can really get lost into. It's a bit as if I'm allowing myself to be in a forest and stepping out of a path and just losing my point of view and just moving around without needing to pay attention to paths or signs. And that's what I need, what I really enjoy doing in my photography, to have this sort of world uh, that I can continue and that I can also find a way and how I feel that I'm evolving, that I'm evolving in a language that maybe is able to describe something that stands between the lines. I think what I also quite like about them is, although you're using your camera in both circumstances, that the work at the different demonstrations is very It's quite heavy content matter. And then you're still with the same tools, your camera, creating these very light, ephemeral images. And it is a nice yin and yang or balance within what you're doing in the same. But even I think just for yourself, it's probably like a nice breath to change. I think every situation, whether how heavy it is, there's always a a contrast to it nearby. Mm -hmm. And I really like to point out that contrast. Yeah, I like the duality of things. I like to look for it and I like to implement this into my other work because that's how I make also my other work maybe more interesting and how I make my other work also work, see that it can evolve still into Mm -hmm. something. I feel like there's a lot of room and potential where it could move into. And also that gives me plainly fun. It's not boring, you know? (laughs) That's important. Have you exhibited those at all or shown them anywhere? Because I know obviously the demonstrations you've had published, whether online or in magazines, but your artistic work. Yeah, Chihavada has been exhibited. It's a different audience, I'm thinking. Sorry? It's a different audience and a different setting, really, that kind of work. Yeah, yeah, sort of. But I think it overlaps. I wouldn't mind if it overlaps. Because it's not that different. Maybe the context is different, but I think that the language is fairly recognizably similar. Chihavada has been exhibited, for example, in 2018, by the end of 2018, with EP Berlin. EP? EP, Eastern European Photography. Okay. Curated by Maya Christova, and she approached me once. We developed this group show 
with four other artists. This is where I first exhibited Jihavoda. And because Jihavoda is quite new, actually, mm -hmm. during this time when I was developing the selection for the exhibition, I actually came up with the idea of Jihavoda. By giving it a name, I sort of put on a label that I use a little bit as a compass, how I can edit images, how I can also follow up with new images. Basically, the name Jihavoda is just a label that I'm using as a compass. And with the help actually of Maya, because I think she's a really good, cool curator. She really sees what I'm thinking in my works. It was cool to have her trust. I basically started to develop Jihavoda from then on. Oh, cool. Was it the first time you'd worked with a curator? It's the first time that I really like closely worked with mm. a curator really like engaged conversation basically yeah because imagine it would be quite different than working with a editor at a magazine yeah definitely it would be different yeah but there is i have had the total freedom that i basically i was very satisfied i didn't have to make many compromises it was a lucky thing because we both agreed that oh yeah actually i think this is the best yeah she said, yeah i think so too so working with the curator then she encouraged you to go in different directions or it was existing work that she helped you select for the exhibition yeah yeah it was existing work and basically i picked from minji havoda the approach of taking photographs of mundane things that are special mm -hmm. in a certain moment these works i have been doing also before of course but did not have a name and i think maybe any photographers everyone does yeah. it somehow it's not a revolutionary new <laughs> thing but in combination with the show coming up i had a selection of images that i shared with maya mm -hmm. she as well has shared a, a bunch of images that she has seen on my website or on my instagram it turned out that they overlapped mostly 90 percent mm -hmm. it overlapped anyways and mostly it is this was my most recent work and i think also now recent work is It's the one that I find more most relevant for my own practice currently because it feels that it came out of a sort of an evolvement on how I am working now and how I'm developing my little niche. Yeah. How do you think that it's evolved? I think I'm a bit, a bit more precise on what I want to show and it's getting a little bit more minimalistic in terms of less distraction in the background. So whatever happens in the background of, of a subject that I'm photographing is quite a conscious decision. I think it also evolved by how my, my tastes evolve. Yeah. I think tastes evolve by influences you get from anywhere including by also seeing works from other photographers my my approach is not absolutely unique i see a lot of yeah. great images <laughs> that i see that i have kind of a similar approach so it's very easy to be influenced in a positive way by anything yeah and that way i think my work is evolving and it will be continuously evolving and to where i don't know You mentioned earlier that um, a lot of images are flash. Mm -hmm. I still love taking flash, but I see already that there is a, a slight end coming, um, yeah. approaching of that flash tunnel that I think I will be a bit sick of flash yeah. in a <laughs> near future. And I think the world is probably going to get a bit sick of flash because it's now the trend and it's, I think it's going to change into now natural light, maybe. I don't know, but I'm very open to changing this and I mm -hmm. don't care. Like, I don't really fix myself onto a, a technique. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you as well. Because I met up with Josephine de Merliac a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you did the still photography for her yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. How did that come about? We knew each other already before. We met actually here nearby our house. There was a little, I don't know, I would call it a project space. And we'd been in touch since then. And uh, Josephine, I think she was like 
she knew what I'm photographing. I knew also her videos. So I really liked her stuff. She really liked my stuff. Eventually she approached me because she's doing that movie. And if I want to take some stills, because I really see her talent and I'm really totally convinced that whatever she does will be cool. And she's a cool person. Yeah. Super easy to get along with. I knew that I'll find her like <laughs> sometime, even though it was actually a pretty fucking busy time at this moment when I met up with Josephine. It was really great and, and it was worth it. So I was just, uh, I attended one day a shooting a basic when they were filming on a boat. And I'm, yeah, that's, that's a cool thing about that Josephine asked me to capture the uh, day and the situations how I want. And this is perfect. I mean, this is how I want to get approached by everyone. Just do your thing and we'll trust in you. And that's how it worked out. It was super easy. Yeah. I mean, her, her movie was anyways, uh, there was a lot of space for improvisation mm, yeah. and uh, intuitive choices. And so it really fitted well also my way of how I can just get involved in it. Oh, I just remember seeing your name in the credits. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow, yeah. It's like, wow, I know <laughs> yeah, that guy. And yeah. then I didn't yeah. know how you'd met, but then I saw your images and I thought, oh, wow, these are really nice. And then, yeah, she's like, yeah, you know, he came and he shot the, as we were filming. Yeah. I thought, oh, cool, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still haven't finished editing all the images because she now she now finished with her movie and she's mm. going to gonna need images. So um, it's actually still like the process is happening now yeah, so of me. Yeah. yeah, the post-production, the selection of images. And I'm really excited about this movie. I'm absolutely sure that she will make another one afterwards. I'd be super happy to work with her again. Yeah. <laughs> like, did you have anything coming up? Oh, yeah, we have, um, I have a residency coming up with Kath. Oh, really? Together, okay. yeah, in the summer in France with Catherine Evans. <laughs> we are both really excited about it because I actually don't have really a residency experience yet. And I'm looking forward to being somewhere else than at home or a familiar place and really devoting a whole big chunk of time, which is four weeks, into developing a work. Oh, cool. That's really, really like, nice. This freedom is so cool. I'm totally looking forward to it because I, I never have that much time for one special thing. Well, for anything, really. For anything. <laughs> for anything. Um, so I'm really excited about it. And it'll end up with being a show. A show there in France, and I'm sure that we'll probably continue with the material we've collected there into um, a publication mm -hmm. and whatever else. I think I will probably be really busy. I will come up with a full hard disk of images mm -hmm. that over time also will fit into different directions. So I think I will be working on one mm -hmm. main project there, but I'm sure I also will be taking a lot of images that later on will be useful for something such as Chihavoda. Or Are you doing the residency together or you're We're independently doing, the doing it? We're doing together yeah. as a collaborative. Oh, so you're producing work as... As the both of you. Like, As the both of us, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Have we've, we've worked before? together. Yeah, we've yeah. worked together before. And there's also a whole series that we have done together, mm -hmm. photo series. It's called Moonshake. We used some images of this already once in a shared exhibition, but it was not finished by then yet. And actually now it's finished. And now we found the right words. We found a good edit for it. And it'll be now shared on my website, on Kath's <laughs> website soon, uh, once mine is ready. But by creating this website and creating this Moonshake series, we found a way how we want to present the images. And there's a lot of cool stuff we've done. And um, oh, cool. yeah, I'm really excited that finally, after like a bit of a sleep break with this work, we're going to go ahead with it. 
So yeah, with the working with Cass is kind of supernatural. It's, yeah. uh, it's easy and she's really good at what she does. Yeah. I really need her opinion also on things. Mm -hmm. That's, by the way, also another thing that I really, really am happy about is that I can share my work, which is kind of like an intuitive work that is coming out of somewhere deep inside my stomach oftentimes. And to have someone whose judgment I really trust and admire to tell me what she thinks of that is really important for me. And that gives me a, a bit of a stability in this world of endless possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you'd both work together, actually, because I know a few other artist couples, but they're, they're couples that are both artists. Yeah. They don't necessarily collaborate or work on yeah, the same yeah, projects course, together. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, we, I think when we pretty early on knew that we will eventually do something together. And um, what I really like about each of our own working methods is that they complement each other. So it's really cool, a good try to combine that. Yeah. my strengths with her strengths and then out of that comes something completely different when does the residency happen it's gonna be in july and august so we'll be back here in um, late late august we'll come back okay yeah. whereabouts is it in france the town is called d d-i-e the curator is connie becker maybe you know her you might be familiar, familiar to you, no? Yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, she was involved also with TED Gallery in Berlin. She's done a lot of shows, actually. And uh, she's worked already together with Kath as a curator. So, yeah, one day this lucky phone call came, and it's great. And uh, D is a town that is in the mountains in the French Alps. I think it's really, it's located two hours away from north from Marseille. Marseille is oh, that right, big yeah. city in, um, on the coast. Yeah. On the coast, exactly. So we'll be quite far in the south, but in the mountains. I know that area a little, or and actually even well, and uh, I really like it. It's yeah, quite I've cool. been a few times it's down very that way. High it's mountain, really nice. beautiful nature there, and um, cool little towns, and um, it's real France there. Yeah, too. <laughs> it's really it's great. So um, I'm really. Honestly, I'm actually, speaking of Corona, I'm really missing going outside the city and being, being somewhere else. Yeah. I miss that quite a lot. Piot and Kath will soon be on their way to their residency in D, France, where they will be throughout the summer. As always, I've included links below to the various topics that Piot and I spoke about, together with links to his website and social media. If all goes to plan, I'll have my conversation with Catherine Evans online next week and from then on maintain a weekly posting rhythm. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more in the future, you can subscribe to Subtext and Discourse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, where this is hosted, and practically all other podcast streaming platforms. Thanks to everyone who has been getting in touch with questions, sharing their feedback, or just letting me know that you're out there listening. For any newcomers, you can reach me on Instagram, Twitter, and other social media in the show notes below. Thanks again for tuning in. You've been listening to Subtext and Discourse. Stay healthy, take care, and see you next time.